Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, I trust you've been following the series that we're teaching from the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 4. We're going to be there again today and probably for another program or two. And uh, I, I really have just so enjoyed digging around in this book because there are so many pieces that I did not see as I have looked into these scriptures. Let me say to you that one of the major keys that opened this to me is in John chapter 20 where he says uh, to them in John chapter 20, John talking about the reason the book of John was written. He said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you would have life through His name. That life that He was offering was the abundant life, living life in the new covenant, in the context of sonship, living life in God's new world, in God's new creation, in relationship with Him, and not living out of rules. It's the abundant life on every level. Now, I'm not going to take a long time to talk about that uh, today, except to say that what we showed you as we've come through the Gospel of John is that there are signposts and miracles that Jesus does that, yes, are truly miracles that He did, but they were also signposts that that truly, when you look beyond the surface, if you would have been a first century Jew, should have set off bells and whistles of revelation to you. Because they are looking and waiting and expecting Messiah to come on the scene. They are waiting on Israel's king that was prophesied of in Daniel and in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and a new covenant to come. And they were waiting because they, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John yet. They didn't have the writings of the Apostle Paul. They knew something was coming because they'd read the Old Testament that prophesied and signified that a virgin is going to conceive, have a son, and he's going to be the royal seed of David. Jesus did not come just to make you more promises. He came to deliver the promises God had already made. And the royal son of David, the king of Israel, God's king, is now on the scene, and his recovery mission of salvation is now still intact and ongoing. And as I showed you different places in the Scripture, He begins to show you a shift. You should have a real paradigm shift from when you read these things and you, you watch the videos that I've shown you, how that Jesus starts out by showing you, for instance, He shows you a wedding at Cana. He's trying to show you this is a picture of a new covenant. This is a picture of my wedding. This is a picture of how I take six water pots that are used for purifying. They're stone, they're stone earthen vessels. Fill them with water. Turn the water to wine. I'm not going to review too much except to tell you he's trying to show you God's new way of cleansing you is to take earthen vessels. Six is the number of humanity. Fill them with water, the Spirit. Turn it into wine, the Holy Spirit. And in that there's a new covenant that will come. 
latter part of that, he talks about the temple. He says he cleanses the temple and he says to them, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. And they're thinking he's talking about the building physical temple. He turns around and says, listen, this spake he concerning the temple of his own body. He's saying to them, you think this is the temple, that's not the temple, I'm the new temple. The new temple that I prophesied that's going to be rebuilt is not in the Middle East somewhere, somewhere out in the future, it's right here. Jesus was that new temple. We become part of that temple because we're lively stones fitly framed together, and we become as well, as Paul said, the temple of the living God. A new temple was on the scene. Chapter 3, he finds Nicodemus who comes by night, and he says to Nicodemus, listen, you must be born again. What he's saying to Nicodemus is your natural birth, your natural genealogy is not enough. You need to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And so he's showing him that it's not about natural genealogy, it's about new birth and new creation. He comes to the woman at the well, which is where we're at today, and I'm not going to take a long time to review some of these things, but he t- comes to a woman at the well, and it's interesting to me that in the whole flow of these things, there's a lot of water involved. He turns the water to wine. He tells Nicodemus, you need to be born of the water and of the Spirit. He tells this woman at the well, I have water to drink that you not, know not of. When we get over uh, into chapter 5, we're going to find a man by the pool of Bethesda that needs to be dipped in water that's troubled. In other words, there is something that keeps on unfolding throughout this Gospel of John. And if you're just seeing the surface truth, it is powerfully there. But if you want to mine for treasures, there's a whole lot more being said here than just Jesus healed somebody 2,000 years ago. These should have been powerful signposts to Israel that the leader of the new exodus is now on the scene and the new king of Israel that was promised is now standing in front of you. Now I'm going to begin to read again here in John 4.28 and we're going to try to make some more remarks because it is amazing to me how fast time goes by when I'm talking. John chapter 4 verse 28 said, The woman left her water pot and went her way into the sea and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now I think this is ironic. Here's a Gentile Samaritan woman who just encountered Jesus. She has not seen a sign, a wonder, or a miracle. She hears His Word and says, is not this the Christ? And Jesus repeatedly has been doing things in front of the multitudes, trying to show them the signs and the confirmation that He's in fact Christ. And after all of these signs, still they do not believe. But here's a Samaritan woman who is saying, is not this the Christ? Because she heard His Word. Verse 30 says, Then they went out of the city and came unto Him. And the meanwhile His disciples prayed Him, saying, Master, eat. And He said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish the work. Say not yet ye there that there are four months, and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He sees these Samaritans, and he's realizing, Listen, there's a harvest field here, and there's a crop of wheat that's about to be brought into the kingdom. And he goes on and talks about, herein is, a, is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city, watch this, <laughs> believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all things ever I did. These Samaritans are believing, and they haven't even seen his sign. They're believing because of his word. And he begins to talk about reaping where nobody has sowed before. He's talking about a harvest that they didn't even think was included. And verse 41 says, And many more believe, watch this, because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, I love it, the Savior of the world. They got a bigger revelation than just God's salvation to Israel. Now salvation is to the Jew and the Gentile. They haven't even seen a sign, and they're believing because of His Word. Now after two days He departed thence and went to Galilee. For Jesus Himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Then when He was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received Him, having seen all the things that He did at Jerusalem at the feast, talking about the wedding at Cana and the different miracles that He's done. Having seen all the things that He did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So when Jesus came again into Galilee, Cana of Galilee, where He made the water to wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. He was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, watch this, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now remember, these Samaritans, these Gentiles, these people who Israel think is not included, uh, are believing His Word alone, having seen no miracles, and they believe that He is the Christ. But Jesus comes down to Galilee where He just performed these miracles and showed them His first sign and first miracle was at the wedding at Cana. Uh, and, and it said, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto them, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him yesterday at the seventh hour. I think that's probably uh, pretty ironic because there's a lot of sevens in the book of John. There's seven signs. There are seven miracles. There are seven sayings from the cross. This fever leaves him at the seventh hour. Now what I did was in my notes I said, please compare these two texts. The Gentiles believed because of His Word, and the Jews sought for a sign. But let me read you this, because this is what, a, a very powerful verse. Matthew 12, in verse number 39 through 41 says, And this was right after Jesus had cast out devils, and they're accusing Him, I believe it is, of 
casting out devils by the prince of the devils. And Jesus says to them, but he answered, here's verse number 39, but he answered and said unto them, an evil, watch this, an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Now remember, what did Jesus just say to this nobleman? You know, you you, you seek for a sign. He he tells them, he said, Jesus says to them, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And here's Matthew 12, Jesus saying this again, but he answered unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the, be- in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now he tells them no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now watch this, because he says, I believe it is in the context of where he cast out devils, today and tomorrow I will do cures, but on the third day I'll be perfected. Let me also give you this, I believe it is from the book of Hosea. Let me see if I've got it in my notes. Hosea 6 verse 1, 3 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. See, I believe that even in the signs and wonders that He's given Israel were, were pictures of His restoration that He wanted to give them to the nation of Israel. I believe that even in this nobleman's son is a picture that Jesus has come on the scene to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to, 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 and we'll see this when we get to the next chapter, to touch the halt, the lame, and the blind. Those are physical things that He, yes, He did do that, but they're also symbols of what Israel was like. They were the halt, the lame, and the blind. They were blind guides leading people and falling into the ditch. But now Jesus is on the scene saying, listen, He hath torn, He will heal us, and He hath smitten, and He will build us up. After two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. Then we shall know if we follow one to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning, and He shall come unto us as the rain, the latter and the former rain, under the earth. Now let me just tell you that this, He says to them, an evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, but there will be no sign given to them except for the sign of Jonah. Now as I started to look at the book of Jonah, First of all, he's telling you that Jonah is a picture of the redemptive work of Christ. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so would it be that Jesus would be three days and three nights literally in the belly of hell. And that literally what what you find here is that uh, one of the reasons that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh was because they were a heathen nation and that God would take the gospel to a heathen nation, and they would repent, and God could possibly use them as a weapon 
against natural Israel. So he did not want to go to them. In other words, Jonah goes to a heathen nation just like Jesus has gone to the house of us, or not the house of the Samaritan, but he's gone to the Samaritans. He is like Jonah going preaching to Gentiles who are going to receive him while the Jews are going to reject him. Now let me read this to you. The introduction to the book of Jonah, this is from my open Bible. If you look, if you have an open Bible, in the front of every one of them, there's kind of like a bibliography or a study of what the book is about. So this is actually a clip I, I, I took from uh, the book of Jonah. These are notes from my open Bible. It says this, the introduction to the book of Jonah, it has been suggested by R.H. Pfeiffer, an introduction to the Old Testament, that the book is a fiction based on the legendary character whose real name has been lost. The interpretation of the book is a parable. It is similar to the view that is legendary. Now in other words, what we see in the Old Testament is a lot of things like you see Jesus doing. In other words, he would use a parable to talk to the people so that I'm not debating whether Jonah was swallowed by literal fish or not. That's not my point here today. But what they're saying is, just like other parables that you see, like the prophet Isaiah who would prophesy about a bramble tree or a fig tree or a wheel within a wheel, that these are things that are pictures. So he's saying, this, this scholar is saying that the interpretation of the book is a parable similar to the view that is legendary. And in the second view, the character of Jonah is both an analysis and a criticism of the post-exiling Judaism. In other words, he's talking about the Jews after they come back from exile, from being taken captive by the Babylonians, and then different kings had taken over and they were in exile. So he's talking to them as a parable again. And he's saying the city of Nineveh represents the vast non-Jewish world that awaits the awakening only the true message of God can bring. The parable portrays the justice and mercy of God toward anyone who will repent. In other words, it is a picture of God having offered His covenants to Israel, and now He is offering it to what seems to be a heathen nation. Here is Jesus going to Nicodemus first, and then He comes to a woman at the well, and the Samaritans are about to receive Him, just like the men of Nineveh received uh, Jonah. Now let me come back again and, and read this again. It goes on to say that according to the allegorical interpretation from Abington's Bible commentary, Jonah is identified with the true mission of Israel to declare God's truth to the world. See, I believe it was God's purpose in Israel in the beginning to be a nation of priests that would carry God's message of truth to the world. But because they failed at that, that, at that job, uh, God is arising a new Israel called the church to carry the message of the kingdom. Uh, Israel failed to carry the message of truth. So, which is, and let me read this again. It said, Jonah is identified with the true mission of Israel to declare God's truth to the world, which Israel having failed to do. Now, let me just stop and tell you again that in the New Covenant, Peter gets a hold of this and begins to talk about the believer and says, but you're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So that as a people of God, we're to show forth the praises of Him who've called us out of mar darkness and into His marvelous light. And so, see, what he's saying is that this priesthood of the believer is now much like Melchizedek, who comes to serve bread and wine. See, it just explodes in my spirit when I talk about this. 
The bread and wine are symbolic of the new covenant, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because He's offering us bread and wine, and that's what we serve, is we serve the finished work of Jesus Christ. What is typified in the three days and three nights of Jonah is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is representing the mission of, uh, of the church, again, uh, the mission to bring the truth of God's Word into uh, the world so that the world can be saved through Him. And these Samaritans are believing that believing they would have life to His name. This writer goes on to say, the great fish is Babylon, who swallowed the Israelites. The disgorging of Jonah up, uh, up on, on the land represents the return of the Jews from exile. Jonah's return, or Jonah's dissatisfaction over the repentance of the heathen parallels the spirit of Judaism after their return from exile. Those who maintain this his historical view, a debt view a, a debt an actual prophet Jonah experienced what is recorded fulfilled in part the missionary task of Israel uh, in ancient times. Now I think that's ironic that he would say that it's a picture of that because what was going to happen was God was offering Israel again a return from exile, not just from Babylon or from Rome, but a return from exile of slavery to a religious system that would bring them into a full restoration of God's message of salvation and offer of life that would come through believing in His name, and that's why He's giving them these signs that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This also was interesting to me. It says the name Jonah means a dove. Several things could be said here, one of which is the dove landed on Jesus when He came out of the waters of Jordan, having been baptized by John the Baptist. This signified the beginning of a new covenant and the entering into a new promised land or a new world. It also contained the idea of giving the Holy Spirit, which also symbolized the dove. All the Gospels, and especially in the Gospel of John, it is signifying a new exodus. It is also signifying the opportunity to return from exile. This time the return from exile is not as much physical as it is spiritual. It is God's desire to restore fellowship to His people. The people of Samaria, much like Nineveh, rep uh, repented at the words of Jesus, knowing He was in fact Messiah. The Jews still rejected Him and were seeking a sign. It is in this climate that Jesus continues to do miracles that should have been signpost to Israel that their Messiah king was now on the scene and was about to lead a new exodus and establish the kingdom of God. He uses the same terminology in Luke, I believe it is chapter 11 verse 20, right after he cast out a devil, Israel is about to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and Jesus speaks to them and says, but if I by the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. This was proof that the kingdom was now on the scene. It is in verse 29 that Jesus repeats the saying, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Now let me just stop for a moment and talk about this again. This powerful picture of Jonah whose name means a dove again can signify some very powerful imagery to me. It's, I'm overwhelmed just talking about this stuff. When I see Jesus go down in the river Jordan and come up out of the waters of baptism. It reminds me when the dove landed on Jesus. The dove landed on Jesus. 
coming up out of the waters of baptism, which symbolize death, burial, and resurrection. When you get baptized in water, it's a symbol that you are moving out of an old world dominated by sin and by the curse and into a new world of salvation. It is amazing to me that when Noah builds an ark, it is God's vehicle to get him out of an old world that's dominated by sin and by the curse. And he said, here's the thing, here's the vehicle. You've got to get in an ark. That ark is a picture of Christ. In that ark, it was, the, the Bible said that the ark had, uh, and he said, thou shalt pitch it within and without. The word pitch it there is the Hebrew word kephar, and that word we translate atonement in the rest of the scriptures. So what seals us in this vehicle or boat called Christ, our vehicle out of an old world, is the atoning blood of Jesus. It seals us in and seals out the world. It's what makes this boat float. This boat was made of shittim wood. In other words, if you're going to have a rescue vehicle, you're going to have to involve a tree. Jesus was crucified on a tree. Jesus is the, all of the arcs in the Scripture. This ark had three stories. It had, if you will, death, burial, and resurrection, outer court, holy place, most holy place. This ark was 30 feet by 50 cubits, by 300 cubits, which 30 is the number that means the blood of Christ. 50 is the number that means Pentecost. And 300 is the number of divine completeness. This is what's interesting. A dove flies out the window. Noah releases two birds. Noah's name, by the way, means rest. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He releases two birds out of the ark. They fly all the way through the Scriptures, and the unclean bird is looking for dead corpses, and it flies all the way through the Scriptures, lands in the book of Revelation, where Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every clean, unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only flies to the book of Matthew, where it sees Jesus coming up out of the river Jordan, and when the dove lands on Jesus, it symbolized to John right here is the new world. Right here is the olive branch. Right here is the Jonah coming up out of the sea. Right here is the new birth experience. Right here is a picture of new creation realities as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. That's the only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of death, burial, and resurrection. Go back, he's saying to them, and read the story of Jonah because that's what I'm trying to communicate is you're about to lose your freedom and go back into captivity of Babylon, but this time it's not a Babylon of a natural kingdom. It's a spiritual Babylon, which is a harlot system Hallelujah, that, 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 that is literally uh, what's robbing them of this quality of abundant life that Jesus is offering to them. It's amazing to me that just like Nineveh, these uh, 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 Ninevites or these Samaritans are receiving. Let me quickly read this because I'm running out of time. Please note that the three days and three nights have, have, have jogged the memory of the Jews to the prophet Hosea, and I read that to you. Well, we're probably going to run out of time. I'm not going to try to rush this again. But if you can see this, he's really showing them the signs. They should have read the signs and repented just like Nineveh did, but they didn't. And so it was being offered to the Gentiles. I hope you're repenting today and seeing the kingdoms available to you. 
We're out of time. If you'd like to help us to take the gospel around the world, please just take a moment to go to your phone, call the number on the screen, or text to give is very easy, or go to our website. There is a link there where you can give, and that's the easiest and the fastest way to do it. If you'd like to become a monthly partner there, you can also do that and do a monthly recurring debit. If you'd like to send a check, there will be an address on the screen. Your partnership is vital to us taking the gospel of the kingdom around the world. We thank you for your help. God bless you. Tune in again next week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.